of God, we're going to cover almost the entire chapter, 1 Kings chapter 19, I want to preach to you about being stuck in a cave, being stuck in a cave, 1 Kings chapter 19, and what we're going to do today, because we're going to cover so much of the chapter, rather than read uh, all the verses we're going to cover, let's just go to the Lord now in prayer ask for his help, and then we'll work our way through this chapter bit by bit. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. Just want to ask for your help, your blessing, your presence, Lord. We want you to pass by. We want to hear that still, small voice. And Father, we want to respond to it. We we want to be moved at your presence. Father, help those that maybe have come today and are stuck in a cave. And Lord, uh, maybe others that are heading towards that cave, might you prevent that? But please minister to your people today. Father, we love you, and we trust that you'll do the work today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, in order to set the stage here, we have to first understand what led up to chapter 19. Elijah has come off of one of the most impressive feats in the Bible, in all of history. What happened in chapter 18 was nothing short of amazing, breathtaking. We have some amazing things in the Bible that we read about, just, I mean, to name a very few. Moses standing there with a rod all night, parting the Red Sea, that's, that's, that's pretty, that's worth telling your grandchildren about. That's an amazing story. Joshua marching around Jericho, and on the seventh day, they just shouted a good, loud, hearty amen, and the the walls fell down. That's just cool. (laughs) That's, that's great. And you have stories like this, you know sprinkled throughout the Bible. But in 1 Kings 18, the prophet Elijah takes on 450 prophets of Baal. Now, I think this often gets overlooked. There were actually 400 other prophets there. They were known as the prophets of the grove. These were like on Jezebel's payroll. So you have the Baalite prophets plus these personal assistants to Jezebel telling her whatever she wanted to hear. So there's actually 850 preachers against one of God's men. And sometimes when you step out into this world, you will feel grossly outnumbered as if the whole world is standing against you and it's just you standing alone. Elijah knows exactly how you feel. Elijah squared off and he said, all right, let's have a little contest. The God that answers by fire, let him be the true God. Let's put our sacrifices on the altar and let's pray and see which God answers by fire. Being a gentleman, he let the Baalite prophets go first. They put the sacrifice on the altar, and the Bible says they prayed for a, until noon. They went at it for about five or six hours. Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. They were cutting themselves with knives. The blood is running. The prayers are going out, not up, out to Baal. Oh, Baal, hear us. But you see, Baal's not alive. Baal can't hear anything. Nothing happened. One of those awkward silences, you know. I bet there was some crickets chirping. (laughs) Old Baal, hear us. Cricket, cricket. Nothing, nothing, nothing. That was the worst cricket sound ever, but you get what what I mean. Now it's Elijah's turn. Elijah steps to that altar. All right, everybody stand back. He's not dressed in a suit and a tie. He has on a leathern girdle, hairy man, been living out in the wilderness, ugly fella. Thank God you don't have to be good looking to serve the Lord. There's a whole lot of us be disqualified just on that, right? (laughs) Elijah steps up, this unkept man, but he'd been keeping his heart. And he said, all right, they put that sacrifice. He built the altar just like God would want him to, and he put a sacrifice on there like God would want him to, and he said... Oh, this is too easy. Let's see. Somebody get me a bucket of water. They brought it. It hadn't rained in three and a half years. A bucket of water was a very precious commodity. He said, get me a bucket of water. They brought that water. He poured it on the sacrifice. He said, hmm. It still looks like druvors to me. <laughs> and he liked that, that, that knot, that, that wet. He said, bring another bucket. They brought another bucket, poured it on. He said, hmm. Get another bucket. 
And that third bucket, they poured that water on, and the water now had run off of the altar. It was filling a trench around the altar. Elijah said, now we're ready to go. And he began to pray one of those loud, thunderous prayers. God, whom I have served my entire life, God, if, if you're there, please, I pray now you'd let these Israelites see who the true God is. And he prayed, and he, and he got through. And the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much. And wham, that fire came down and licked up that wet uh, biltong. <laughs> consumed the altar with the sacrifice. And you know what the Israelites did? They stood back and they said, Jehovah's the real God. Jehovah's the real God. They, I mean, this is fantastic revival stuff. Elijah said, get those prophets in here. And according to the law, false prophets were supposed to die. This is within Israel, right? And he said, they need to be put to death. And they did. 450 prophets gone that day. What a great victory. Elijah's not done yet. Many people think the story ends there. That's not, the, that's not the end of it. It hadn't rained in three and a half years, and Elijah had told Israel, it won't rain again until I say so. Uh, by God's permission, you know. So Elijah then goes out a bit. He begins to pray, and he told them. You can see it in chapter 18 and verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. He said, king, go ahead and get you a quick meal. Better stop at the mug and bean on the go because the rains are coming. Now, look what he did in the next verse. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. You know what he did? He said, King, go grab a bite. The rain's coming. He hadn't even prayed yet. Then, he, he has so much faith in what God had told him three and a half years ago. That Elijah, when you ask me in three and a half years to let it rain again, I'll answer. And Elijah goes up there on that mountain. And he begins to pray, puts his face down there between his knees. Oh, God, please let that rain come down. And he sends the servant out one, two, three, four, seven times. Servant comes back, says, yep, sure enough, that, that sky is getting really dark. And he said, all right, you tell Ahab that he better run fast. And Elijah runs out of the city. Ahab runs out of the city. And the rain comes down. I mean, this, this is like the cherry on top. Revival. This has got to prove to everybody that Jehovah, the, the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, he's the only true God. Throw this Baalite nonsense out. And then you get chapter 19. Now, if I were writing the story, if I didn't know what came next, and I read chapter 18, I would think the next thing that happens, chapter 19, great revival, everybody's coming to Elijah, thank you for preaching the truth, and everybody's getting right. That's what I would expect. Boy, that's not what happened. You know, you can be saved and things going well. And all of a sudden, just one thing happens. And it pivots your life in the wrong direction. And look at the end of chapter 18, verse 46. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He had the hand of God on him. Walking with God. And, and you wouldn't expect chapter 19 to happen, But in the middle of chapter 19, you're going to see that Elijah ends up deep buried in a cave of depression. And there's a lot of God's people. People you wouldn't think it would happen to them. You, you would never think Elijah would struggle with being down and depressed and distressed. And, and you wouldn't think him to have a hopeless attitude. Of all people, Elijah would know the great power of God to overcome anything. You would think that chapter 19 could never happen to Elijah. But James chapter 5 says Elijah was a man of like passions like we are. Listen, it can happen to Elijah. It can happen to you. Say, but I'm living for God. I'm, I'm in love with the Lord. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm walking with Him. I'm trying to be obedient. And please know that that doesn't exclude you from a few cave-dwelling moments. It is still possible for even the best of God's people to get stuck in a cave. So I want to talk about how Elijah got there. I want to talk about what he did while he was in there. And talk about how God got him out of that cave. And let's just learn some very practical things. Three different aspects of this story in chapter 19. We'll begin at verse number 1. In verse number 1 it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And with all... How he had slain all the prophets 
with the sword. Right now, it's right at that point you would think Jezebel would say, oh, well then, I want to get in on the revival. It's obvious. I mean, this story is so obvious. Jehovah is the real God. That is what, listen to this now, please listen to this. This is key to this sermon. That is what you would expect. You got to be careful with your expectations. You got to be careful with those. Surely Elijah's thinking, once word spreads to the palace, even Jezebel would get saved. You would like to think that. Verse 2, then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Instead of saying, I'm sorry for all the persecution, I'm sorry for killing all those other prophets, Elijah, you've convinced me. She says, Elijah, you better run because what you've done to my guys, I'm coming for you now. You would like to think that Elijah here at this point of the story would stand up and go, all right, well, I took those 850 prophets on. I can take you, woman. But hell hath no fury <laughs> like a woman's horn. Amen. All the men in the room said, amen. <laughs> Verse 3, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and he left his servant there. Beersheba is at the very southernmost tip of the land of Israel. He's running as fast and as far as he can. My first point is this. After receiving this news that his expectations of complete revival, of the eradication of Baalism, that's what Elijah thought would have happened. When his expectations weren't met, here's what happened. Elijah was done. But God wasn't. Elijah was done, but God wasn't. Now, now please hear me on this. You might have come today and, and with this thought in your mind, this is it. This is as far as I go. I'm done. I can't go any further. I have no more strength. I, I, I did my level best. And it still didn't work. Did Elijah do his best? Chapter 18? Did, 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 he, did he throw him the fastball? He, he brought out the fast bowler. I mean, he hit the wicket. I hope I'm using cricket terms right. You know that's shaky ground for me. <laughs> he did his level best. And in his mind, it wasn't enough. So he thinks that's it. What else can I do? I have tried everything. I am done. But, but you've got to know, if that is what you're telling yourself, you're allowed to think that. I'm not saying you're right, but you're allowed to have that feeling. But you need, to, you need to finish that by saying, I am done, but God isn't. So the next time that thought runs through your head, that's it, I'm done, can't go any further. Finish the sentence, comma, but God is not done. Verse 4, look at how Elijah's done. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. Juniper trees in the Bible are all, it's a place where somebody goes to be depressed. It was a depressing tree. <laughs> Anytime you read about it, you're just bummed out. He sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. What's he saying? I'm done. It is enough. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. His father's had to deal with Baalism. He had hoped that through his efforts, God might use him to eradicate Baalism. And now he knows, well, that ain't going to happen. I'm no better than my father's. Baalism was here when I came on the scene, and Baalism will still be here when I go off the scene. And he was done. Perhaps you've done your level best at work to be a good testimony, to do a good job, to get ahead. And it's not wrong, by the way, to be to be a good employee and to have ambitions of promotion. That's not wrong. Maybe you've done your best and your boss still just treats you like an absolute jerk. Perhaps you've done your level best in your marriage and it's just not coming right. 
It might be that you've been struggling with some besetting sin and it has haunted you for years and you have tried and tried to overcome that thing and it just won't go away. If I can speak broadly, perhaps you have tried. You've put in some effort. You made some surges here and there to be a genuinely good Christian. And it just seems like no matter how hard you try, you never get there. And it could be that you're getting discouraged to the point of saying, that's it. I'm done. It's enough. That's all I got. Elijah's done. You know, Moses had a time like this. Jonah had a time like this. Remember reading the book of Jeremiah? At one point, Jeremiah said, that's it, God, you lied to me. What a thing to say to God. God, you lied to me. You deceived me. Jeremiah chapter 20. I thought you were going to use me. I'm preaching and nobody's repenting. You know how many converts Jeremiah had in his ministry? Wap-ap. Zero. <laughs> he had one guy, Baruch, that was on his side the whole time, but he had no one else repenting. The nation just keep, kept going the other way. He was trying his level best, but his expectations were people would repent and they just weren't repenting. His expectations weren't being met. So he said, that's it, enough, no more preaching. And he stopped preaching for a while. You see, the word of God was in him and it began to burn like a fire in his bones and he, and he couldn't hold back because Jeremiah was done, but God wasn't done. Verse number five. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. You see, Elijah's done, verse four, but God isn't, verse 5. God sends a private, personal, angelic chef <laughs> to this guy sleeping under the juniper tree to cook for him in the darkness. <laughs> Arise, you know, early breakfast. Rise and eat, verse 6. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink. And he didn't say, thank you so much. Boy, I needed this encouragement. You know, that's just like the Lord, to send somebody my, my way right when I need him. God sent an angel to cook for him. You know what Elijah did? He went back to bed. <laughs> he hit the snooze button and went, oh, man. <laughs> you ever felt like that? When you get so down, you get up, you eat, you, just get, you don't feel like doing anything else. You just lay around, moping brooding, sulking, pity party. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat. He stuck around for lunch. <laughs> he prepared him another meal. He says, arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. Now this tells me something. God had prepared not only a private personal chef, to feed the prophet, listen to this, to feed the prophet just what he needed at the right time. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Sometimes you come to church and you're down and God gives you that one little bite, that one piece of food that you need. To that, don't take that lightly. And then sometimes God knows that you're so bad off, you need a retreat. You, you need to get away and go on a spiritual vacation. You need to get away and have some special time with God. So God had prepared a resort, a special place where Elijah could recharge his spiritual batteries. Verse 8, and he arose. This wasn't Elijah's plan, mind you. If it was Elijah's plan, he would have prepared for the journey. But he didn't. The angel said, you need to eat a little more because you've got a long journey ahead of you. So the angel's preparing for the journey. God had prepared something to help that prophet. Elijah was done, but God wasn't. Verse 8, he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb. That's another name for Sinai. Unto Horeb, the mount of God. What a special place. I think everybody in the building probably knows how special that mountain is, right? That's where God met with Moses, who at one time said, God, take me out. I'm done. What a place to bring his, his prophet. Let him recharge a bit. He went 40 days and 40 nights. Do you see that? that that's, that's like Moses on that mount. 
But, but let me tell you something that may not jump off the page here. To go from Beersheba to Mount Sinai, you look it up. I put it in Google Maps this morning myself. You can walk it in less than four days. Took him 40. Have you ever noticed that whenever you're down and things aren't going well and you're in a cave of depression, have you ever noticed how the smallest of tasks seem much bigger? I mean, a 10-minute sermon feels like two hours. <laughs> I hope that's not the case today, but, but you get what I'm saying. The smallest of tasks. Honey, can you please just take out the trash? Oh, that's wrong. Why do you always say these things to me? You're always... I poked the bear. <laughs> it's, it's not that bad. Understand, he's probably just struggling. I, I don't know why. It took him 40 days and 40 nights, but I am surmising, I'm guessing, that he was just not that excited about going down there. Why? Because he was done, but God wasn't. God patiently waited for the prophet to arrive at this spiritual resort where he could speak to him and help him. Verse 9, we come to the next part of the story. In verse 9, it says, and he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. God had told him to go to the mountain of God, to Sinai. Elijah knows very well what happens at Sinai. That's where the presence of God showed up back in the book of Exodus. You go and stand on the mount. Elijah, you know that, not Elijah. He went to a dwelling, a lodging place that matched his mood to a dark, lonely place. Have you ever noticed how our mood often leads us to go to a place that matches our mood? I just want to be alone. Here's my second point. Here's what we're going to see in the next handful of verses. God wanted to help, but Elijah did not want to be helped. That's how you get stuck in a cave. God wanted to help, but Elijah did not want to be helped. Verse 9 came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? He didn't just ask him, What doest thou? What doest thou here? Elijah, I prepared this journey, brought you to the mountain of God. Do you think I called you out here so you could live in a cave? God didn't bring you to a church service so that you could sit there not listening, turned off and trying to... He brought you here to speak to you, to minister to you. You want to lean into that. What, what are you doing, Elijah? I, I, I sent you a private chef and gave you what you need to get down here. You dawdled the whole way, took 40... You, you took 10 times the amount of time needed. And now you hide in a cave? Elijah, what are you doing? What are you doing? And rather than giving the simple answer, I'm brooding, which I, I like that word. I looked that word up, I'm brooding. That means to think anxiously or gloomily about something. I'm just sitting in the cave thinking the worst about myself, about this situation, about you. He's brooding. Instead of being, you know, it would help you to get out of the cave if you just said it out loud. I'm having a pity party. I'm feeling sorry for myself. I'm brooding. It sounds bad when you say it out loud. So rather, we jump that, we skip that, and we go straight to why we think it's okay for us to be doing what we're doing. Verse 10. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Do you know everything he just said is true? Save one thing. Everything in that verse is true, except, you can underline this little phrase, and I, even I only. That's not true. But everything else is true. You know how many times we get stuck in a cave because we have nine out of ten things right. I know this is true, and this is true, and this is true, but because our perspective is, is off on that one thing, Elijah cannot see what God can see. 
Elijah doesn't see that there are 7,000 other people that have not bowed the knee to Baal. He missed that one, that one thing, that one little fact would have fixed this. Elijah said, God, I'm offended. I'm offended, God, at how everybody's treating you. I'm, I'm jealous. I feel hurt because no one loves you. I was your last chance, God. I was your last chance. And now they're coming for me. And if they kill me, God, and they're going to get me, they're going to take my life. Who's going to love you? Do you see that in Elijah's mind, is this is not only Elijah's going to lose, God is going to lose. Because in his mind, Baalism has now won. And no one, there's no one left to stand for God. Oh, wow, did he blow this out of proportion. You know that's what we do when we stick ourselves in a cave? We start to exaggerate the bad and forget about the good. You know what that angelic chef should have reminded Elijah of? Didn't God send ravens to bring Elijah food? He, the, the ravens brought him bryflace. Imagine that. It, it should have reminded Elijah that, that God is here for me. He, had, he didn't even thank the Lord for it. God, it's hopeless. There's nothing that can be done. There's nothing more that I can do. And God, we're finished. Verse 11, and he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Please, look carefully at that. Go forth and stand where on the mountain? Stand where? Upon it. Do you see that? Stand upon the mount before the Lord. You're going to see in the next verse, Elijah didn't do that. I just want you to know that because as we read this, it will help you understand what's happening. I want you to have that picture in your mind. He did not leave the cave. He was stuck in the cave. And even when God told him to get out of the cave, he refused to leave the cave. God wanted to help. Elijah did not want to be helped. The Lord said, go forth, stand upon the mount before the Lord. Verse 11, in the middle, and behold, the Lord passed by. Well, he did. But Elijah didn't know it. You know why? Stuck in the cave. You know, it can happen in a church service where God can move through the service. And, and there's a spiritual shaking that takes place. There's, a, there's an energy or a buzz that comes about because the Holy Spirit is moving around, touching hearts and, and stirring people. But if you have come with that cave mentality, the Lord can pass by and you don't even know it because you're stuck in the cave. You didn't come because you want to be helped. You came to tick the box. Not to get the help. The Bible says, Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains. This is a, can you hear the New Testament of this? Rushing mighty wind. Yeah? Okay. It says, A great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12, And after the earthquake, a fire but the Lord was not in the fire. Just stop right there for a moment. Elijah is aware of the physical effects of what God is doing. But Elijah does not see anything of God in those things. So this morning, perhaps, you've, you've come, you heard the songs, but they didn't move you. You're hearing the preaching. You see the preacher Moving his hands, lifting his voice, sticking a foot up there, whatever. Here I am. You see it, but it's just not moving you. You know what the problem is? It's not that God's not here, and it's not that God doesn't want to help. But, but if you don't come with a heart and a mind and ears to hear and that desire to be helped, listen, if you don't come hungry, how are you going to eat? 
I can't force it in you. The Lord wasn't in those things. Where was the Lord? The Lord had passed by. You know where the Lord was? On top of the mountain. And if Elijah had gone to the top of the mountain like he was told to do, simple obedience, get out of your cave and go. You say, I don't feel like it. That's the point. You're not going to feel like doing everything you need to do. This is where we say, God, I'm not going to walk by feelings. I'm going to walk by faith. You said to go to the top of the mountain, so I'm going to go. Enough with my childishness sitting in the cave. (laughs) Nothing ever works in my life. (laughs) Hey, I've been there. I've been stuck in caves. I I, I can preach about this from a very personal standpoint because I've been there. God says, get out of the cave, go on top, I'll meet you there. And if Elijah had gone there, he could have stood next to the Lord and seen those things. You know, these, this earthquake, this wind, this fire, these things are often used to announce the presence of God. Elijah knows this. So he sees it happening, but there's no God in it. Why? Because he hadn't obeyed. You can be doing the right... Re- Please listen to this. You can be doing the right things and you don't get anything out of it if you're stuck in the cave. God wanted to help, but Elijah didn't want to be helped. You know what Elijah wanted? You should know this. The answer is in verse 4. What did Elijah want? To die. He's in a cave and the wind blows so hard the rocks are breaking in pieces. You understand? This is like a tornado. And then an earthquake. And then fire. If you are in a cave when those three things are happening, what's the smart move? Get out of the cave, dude. You're going to die. Right? That cave is going to cave in. You're going to be crushed. Elijah was fine with that. Because that's what Elijah wanted. He didn't want to be helped. He wanted to die. He wanted to die in his cave. But God didn't want him to die in that cave. So you know what God does? God brought these things about. He's moving. He's shaking. He's trying to get the prophet to move to get out of the cave, but he's not. So then God himself comes down, pokes his head in the cave. Elijah, come here. Still small voice. Come here. Let's, Let's chat. And Elijah comes out. Yes, Lord. Verse number 13. And it was so when Elijah heard it. uh, Forgive me, we didn't finish verse 12, did we? And after the fire, a still small voice. So you understand what I'm saying now. Verse 13. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle. Why? Because there's dust particles flying all about. He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. See, he was still in the cave. And just now has he, okay, I'll come out. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Right back to the same point. Elijah, why are you still in that cave? What doest thou here? I brought you down here. It was obvious I don't want you in a cave. I told you in case you missed it to go stand on the mountain. You didn't do it. What are you doing? Elijah, I want to help. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to condemn you. I get it if you're a bit discouraged, but I'm here to help. Let me help you. Please just think about what you're doing. What doest thou here? Verse 14. And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, you can see him getting dramatic at this point. I, just me, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Nothing had changed. God had moved. God had spoken. And nothing had changed. God reminded him. Listen to this part. God just reminded him. Visual aids that he could move mountains. And you know what that did for Elijah? Nothing. Isn't that something that God can move a mountain but he can't move your heart? Why? Didn't want to be moved. 
He was stuck in a cave. He was stuck in a cave. Let's come to verse 15 now, third part of the story. The prophet is stuck in that cave of bitterness, doesn't want to be helped. Verse 15, and the Lord said unto him, go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. Damascus, guys, that's due north. That's way up north. That's in Syria. So you have east where Sinai is, down there between the bunny ears of the Red Sea, like in the Egyptian area. Then you've got to go through the land of Israel, all the way up above Israel is Syria. Okay. This is a long journey. He says, go return on thy way to the wilderness of, of Damascus. That's the head chief city there in Syria. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshai, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. And then he tacks this on. God has said, listen, I know you're discouraged because your expectations weren't met. You wanted to eradicate Baalism. I know. I got a plan. I got a plan for that. All these Baalite worshipers that you tried to take out, these three men, they're going to take care of that. And they did. When you read the next book, they do. I'll show you now. Verse 18, and God reminds him of one, one more thing. Yet, I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Much like verse 28, look at this short verse. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. Well, looky there, God had a plan. Here's the problem. That took 24 years from the time of 1 Kings 19, Elijah stuck in the cave. It took 24 years. You know why we get frustrated? Our expectations aren't met as quickly as we want God to meet them. God, I'm trying. Now, why aren't you reacting? Maybe God doesn't work on the same calendar you do. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness you think god is late my friend he's always right on time it might the plan that god has and the help that he has provided it's going to be enough to get you through it just may take a little longer than you expected come back to first kings chapter 19 God told him in verse 15 to go to Damascus, right? Did you know that Elijah never did that? He never went there. Eventually, Elisha tells Haziel, you're going to be king. But Elijah never went to Damascus and anointed Haziel to be king. He did, however, go to Abel-Meholah. That's where Elisha was, all right? So watch it here. Just, just look this way. He's down here in Mount Sinai in the south. He traveled up. If you have the Israeli map, about halfway up the, up the land of Israel, right on the border of the, la- of the uh, River Jordan, that's Abel-Meholah. Elijah went straight to Elisha, his future prophet, the man who would take his place. That's the only person he went and anointed. I think... Work with me here. If Elijah would have walked the path God told him, go from Sinai to Damascus, you know what he would have done? He would have walked straight to the middle of Israel and he would have seen the effects of this recent revival from chapter 18. He would have seen you got more done than you thought. Okay, yes, there's still some Baalism, and yes, Jezebel's still on the throne, and yes, there's still some some kinks to work out, but Elijah, look, God's busy doing something. But how often God has the encouragement right there on our path, but we choose a different path. We, We do the things that we feel like doing instead of doing everything God told us to do, and then we wonder, why don't I feel better? Well, you didn't do everything. And how are you going to see everything God has for you if you don't do everything God told you to do? 
what if, what if it might have been this? I wonder if Elijah, I'm, I'm just wondering, if Elijah would have anointed Haziel, like he was told, he didn't. If Elijah would have anointed Jehu, he didn't. You know what happened? Elijah trained Elisha, and Elisha later sent a different Bible school student to go and anoint Jehu. Elijah didn't obey there either. I just wonder, rather than taking 24 years, I wonder if things wouldn't have come right sooner if Elijah would have been obedient. I don't think there's any promise that the results would have been sped up. But I know this, obedience is always the right thing. And perhaps it doesn't get you there faster, but at least you can say, I did what God told me to do. And at least, you know, at least you can lay down satisfied and contented and say, well, I did all that, I, that God told me to do. I'm not sitting in my cave sulking. I tried to do something about it. Either way, either way, perhaps you think, well, maybe it would have sped things up. Maybe it would have taken just as long. Either way, this still is true. God had a plan and Elijah had help. So perhaps this morning, if you're stuck in the cave, I just want to remind you, God does have a plan. Whatever that thing is you're struggling to overcome, God has a plan, and you have lots of help. I, I want to give you one story that I have found fascinating, because if anybody could have been discouraged, it would have been this gentleman here. I've told you about him many times, John G. Patton, missionary to the New Hebrides Islands, cannibals, they hunted him, tried to kill him so many times. He could have easily given up over the years and said, forget it. He'd already buried his wife and his baby. He had to sleep on their graves to protect them, lest the cannibals unearth them and eat them. This man lived a dangerous life, and yet he didn't give up. Decades in, God told him, and, and trying to break through and reach these heathen, he had seen one or two conversions, but heathenism, paganism was so strong there. What were the odds that it would ever get taken care of? God told him, sink a well. Dig down, find water in the earth. Sink a well. So he began digging. And, and the natives, the, they were on the island of Aniwa, they said, Missy Patton, that, instead of missionary, they called him Missy. Missy Patton. Missy Patton, what are you doing? And, and he said, I'm looking for water. They said, ha, 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 Missy, you have gone mad, eh? You have gone mad. Water comes from the sky. Water doesn't come from the ground. The water from the sky falls in the ground. You don't find water in the ground. And Missy Patton said, no, no, if you dig deep enough, you'll find water in the ground. And day after day, there he was with his shovel and his pick, and he was working and working, and, and, and they kept mocking him and laughing at him. And a couple times, that, that well, it caved in. He almost died a few times. No one would help him because everybody was scared that the well would collapse, that that hole would collapse. But he would dig it out again and keep trying. And one day, eventually, he put that shovel deep enough and poof, some water sprang up. And those Aniwans ran over there and said, God has turned the world upside down. <laughs> There's water coming out of the ground. And they said, Missy Patton, Missy Patton, is there enough water in there for all of us? And it was just a few bubbles, right? At this point, just bloop, 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 bloop. And he said, guys, once we dig this properly, there will be enough water for everybody on the island. And they said, can we have it for free? He said, it's yours. It's ours. My Jehovah God has provided it for all of us because what you think is impossible is not impossible for my God. For your gods, it's impossible, but not my God. The chief was standing at the hole, and when he heard that, his name was Namake. Namake was so blown away by what God had done. God had a plan, and now he's going to provide help. Chief Namake said, what do we need to stabilize this? I need some people to bring this and that coral to put these and this structures in place, and people begin to come in to help. And the next Sunday, Chief Namake went to Missy Patton and said, please let me preach this sermon. He's not even saved. <laughs> and Missy Patton said, okay. So here he comes. Usually he ran around naked. That was what the cannibals did. This Sunday, 
He came to church wearing a kilt. John Patton was Scottish, you see. He had a kilt and a shirt and a tomahawk because every good preacher needs a tomahawk. <laughs> I really thought about bringing one this Sunday <laughs> to really just let you see how it looks. He, so tomahawk in hand, Chief Namake begins to preach. He's stomping around, waving this axe, and he says, friends of Namake, men and women and children of Aniwa, listen to my words. Since Missy came here, he has talked many strange things we could not understand, things all too wonderful. And we said regarding many of them that they must be lies. White people might believe such nonsense, but we said that the black fellow knew better than to receive it. But, all, but of all his wonderful stories, we thought the strangest was about sinking down through the earth to get rain. Then we said to each other, the man's head is turned. He's gone mad. But the Missy prayed on and worked on, telling us that Jehovah God heard and saw, and that his God would give him rain. Was he mad? Has he not got the rain deep down in the earth? We mocked at him, but the water was there all the same. We laughed at other things which the Missy told us because we could not see them. But from this day, I believe that all he tells us about his Jehovah God is true. Someday our eyes will see it, for today we have seen the rain from the earth. Something here in my heart tells me that Jehovah God does exist. The invisible one whom we never heard nor saw till the Missy brought him to our knowledge. The coral has been removed, the land has been cleared away, and lo, the water rises, invisible till this day, yet all the same it was there, though our eyes were too weak. So I, your chief, remember the tomahawks, <laughs> so I, your chief, do now firmly believe that when I die, when the bits of coral and the heaps of dust are removed which my blind old eye, from my blind old eyes, I shall then see the invisible Jehovah God with my soul, as Missy tells me not less surely than I have seen the rain from the earth below. From this day, my people, I must worship the God who has opened for us the well and who fills us with the rain from below. The gods of Aniwa cannot hear, cannot help us, like the God of Missy. Henceforth, I am a follower of Jehovah God. Let every man that thinks with me go now and fetch the idols of Aniwa, the gods which our fathers feared, and cast them down at Missy's feet. Let us burn and bury and destroy these things of wood and stone. Let us be taught by the Missy how to serve the God who can hear, the Jehovah who gave us the well and who will give us every other blessing. For he sent his son Jesus to die for us and bring us to heaven. This is what the Missy has been telling us every day since he landed on Oniwa. We laughed at him, but now we believe him. The Jehovah God has sent us rain from the earth. Why should he not also send us his son from heaven? Namake stands up for Jehovah. Over the next several months, the inhabitants of Aniwa brought their gods day after day, threw them down at the front door of Missy Patton, burned and destroyed and buried them. And that broke the back of heathenism on the island of Aniwa. When Missy Patton showed up, not one Christian existed. When Missy Patton left, not one heathen existed. The entire island converted to Christianity. God has a plan, and you have help. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Perhaps you're stuck in a cave this morning. Maybe you've been in there a while. You know what? You know what you might need to do? Say, I've come to church now several weeks and months and I just don't feel God moving. Maybe you need to move. You ever thought of that? Maybe he's waiting for you to get out of your cave and go to the top of the mountain. You know what I've often found? I can hear a sermon. I, I, I think God's doing something. And I will go to the altar just to see if there's something God wanted me to, to hear. And when I get to the altar, there I meet the Lord. It wasn't there in my chair. 
He was just waiting for me to move. And once I got up and moved, then God started moving in my heart. Maybe you've seen the shaking. You've, you recognize that something is going on. You're just not sure. God, what is it that you're trying to communicate to me? Get out of the cave. Let's go to the top of the mountain. And let's just wait there. See what God has to say. So how do I get to the top of the mountain? Take a knee right where you're at. In other circumstances, I would invite you to come forward to an altar. I think the best I can ask you to do today is, in order to get on, on top of the mountain, is to get down on your knee. And say, Lord, I've, I've been in this cave long enough. Lord, I've, I'm at the end of myself. I'm done. But I know that you're not. I don't have any strength to keep going. So, Lord, I'm going to have to rely on yours. Friend, he's able. His grace is sufficient. You don't have to live in that cave. I'm not promising that all your problems go away overnight. It may take 24 years. But God has a plan. And he will send help. But when he sends it, friend, take it. Take it. could be that you've come this morning not in a cave what I'd like for you to do then is take on board what you've heard and make sure you don't go into the cave life is going to land us in these caves here and there but let's not go there if we don't have to Just like Chief Namake realized, if God would bring water up from the earth, why would we not also believe that He'd send His Son down from heaven? Friend, if you've come today and you're not sure that you're saved, you don't have to be stuck in the cave of your sin for all eternity. The invitation is there. You can step out of that 